Welcome to the Sam Knows Podcast. I'm Barry Collins. Gigabit broadband is quickly becoming commonplace. More than half of the properties in the UK now have access to a gigabit line, with plans to reach millions more over the next few years. In this first episode of this two-part podcast, I'm talking to the CEO of one of the UK's most respected internet providers, Zen Internet's Richard Tang. In a market dominated by corporate giants such as BT, Sky and Virgin Media, Zen remains a much-loved independent ISP that has won multiple awards for its superb customer service. Richard founded the company in 1995 and has been at the helm for 27 years. As the company's sole shareholder, he ensures the 500-strong company remains true to its people-centric values. Zen is also part of the B Corp movement, a global movement of people using business as a force for good. We'll be discussing how Gigabit Broadband changes customer behaviour, whether anyone really needs those speeds, and the challenges that delivering these ultra-fast connections place on ISPs. Then, in the second episode, I'll be talking to Sam Knows founder Sam Crawford as we explore the performance data on gigabit connections and whether our obsession with download speeds will start to fall away now connections have reached these incredible heights. First, however, let's hear from Zen's Richard Tang. So Richard, what differences do you see in the level of bandwidth consumption from a customer who's on a gigabit connection to someone who's maybe just on a regular fibre to the cabinet line on 30 meg? Yeah, so, so what we're seeing is someone on FTTC 4010 line today downloads about 500, uh, 250 gigabytes uh, a month of data, and that compares with 950 gig- gigabytes from someone with a, a a gigabit full fiber line or a, or a 900 meg full fiber line. Wow. So nearly four times the amount of download from the full fiber line. Uh, if, if you um, if you look at our FTCC 8020, and so that unlimited fiber two, then the download goes up to 410 gigabytes. So again, full fiber, just over double. Um, one thing that we we see that's quite interesting is that if you, if you compare it with FTTC with um, with full fiber FTTP but a similar speed, so say a thirty five meg FTTP line, the FTTP line actually downloads a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Um, what what we reckon's happening there is that the heavier users are on FTTP just upgrade to faster speeds, whereas the heavy users on FTCC have just got to pull with what they've got. So they, they they use more of the line. I was going to ask you about that in the sense that do you think it's people who really want to download lots of stuff just go for the faster connections? Or do you think that having that faster speed available, people just naturally fill that space, if you like? Um, I think that it's, it's probably a mixture of things. Um, so... I think the heavier users are naturally uh, attracted to the the bigger bandwidths, but I think alongside that, because you know getting a gigabit of connectivity into your home these days is quite cost effective. Some people just think oh, I'll have a gigabit because I can have a gigabit, and you know what, it's another fiber or it's another tenor, but. <laughs> I want the best, yeah. <laughs> and so I'll have the best. Will I actually use it? Well, that's a different question, um, and, and, and I mean, we can come on to that. 
And so a, a bit of a mix, really. I mean, what I will say is that, you know, since Zen Internet started in 1995, we've had a few steps in technology. You know, back then it was all dial-up. Then we went to ADSL and we went from about 50K to 500K, so a tenfold jump. And that was just like amazing. What could you possibly use half a megabit for? So that happened around about 2000. Then ADSL got to ADSL 2 plus. Then we had FTTC and now we've got FTTP. So we've got this jump in technology and the technology is is way ahead of usage at the moment. Mm-hmm. So reality is nobody actually needs a gigabit yep. um, today, you know, despite what the government might say, no mm-hmm. one needs it today. They will need it in the future at some point. But today, I mean, what can you do with a gig? Yeah. And so what what do you sense people are using those speeds for? I know you don't actually monitor traffic at the network level, but what's your sense of what people are using those lines for? So the the, the biggest use case by far is, is video. So it's Netflix, it's it's Amazon Prime video. Um, and, and that just consumes a, a huge amount of bandwidth. The home working thing uses some bandwidth as well. And of course, the last two years, there's been a big increase in that. Mm-hmm. Well, compared with um, video streaming for entertainment, I think it's still quite a, a small fraction. The gaming side of things, again, particularly with server-based gaming, that is chewing up bigger chunks of bandwidth. Still, I think, quite small compared with um, just mainstream video streaming. And then all the other other applications pale into insignificance, you know, email. um, I suppose things like software updates, they, you know, they, they, you see spikes when you get a big software update, say for your iPhone or something like that. Yeah. That's, that's much more now and again, rather than the continual stream that you get from something like Netflix. So how much of a challenge is it from a broadband provider's point of view when these high bandwidth services emerge? You mentioned like the, uh, the game stream in there, which is seems to be growing in popularity. How, how big a problem is that for you guys? Uh, it, it, it's like painting the fourth bridge, really. But, <laughs> you know, it's just a never-ending upgrade. Um, I mean, I was going to say project, but it's it, it's just a continual, uh, we're in a continual state of upgrading. And, and in a way, you know, that's been true for the last 26 and a half years. But I think particularly the last two years, that's just accelerated. Uh-huh. And upgrades that we put into the network that we thought, you know, well, this will see us for another year or another couple of years. Actually, it's only going to see us for another six months. So we've no sooner put an upgrade in. Um, we've got to be planning the next upgrade, uh, whether it's our core network, whether it's our links out to uh, peering or transit. You know, it's just a continual upgrade um, process. And so, yeah, we've got we've just got a big team of people that are continually upgrading the network. And do you think that there's going to come a point? I mean, these discussions happen quite regularly, certainly in the states. But there comes a point where uh, providers are going to need to be compensated for the amount of bandwidth from services. Or are you quite happy with the current situation? Yeah, so I, I mean, that, it's an interesting subject, and that's popped up sort of from time to time. And with new services and service providers saying, oh, you know, Netflix is chewing up all our bandwidth. They should pay us for the network. 
never yeah. came to anything. Um, there's, there's nothing that I can see or that I hear from the industry that suggests that that will ever become a thing. Um, I mean, we've had this model now for, as I say, a, a quarter of a century, and at no point have the, the people that built the network, you know, collected money from uh, the content providers for the content that they provide. And, and and to be honest, you know, the business model has worked okay. So we've had this exponential growth in bandwidth, but at the same time, the cost of building networks of that exponentially increasing bandwidth has has come down exponentially as well. And so if you you know if you look about if you look at what we charge for our services today compared with what we charged ten years ago or twenty years ago for the end user. It's not really changed that much. You yeah. know, it's in, it's in the region of, what, like 30, 35, 40 pounds a month, something like that. Not really changed that much. And the reason it's not changed is the cost to us of building that network hasn't changed that massively either. Of course, the bandwidth is orders of magnitude higher. But yeah. It's orders of magnitude cheaper to provide that bandwidth. So when you're dealing with gigabit grade lines, how much does the in-home router and Wi-Fi equipment uh, start to become a bottleneck? So at the moment, we we are providing the same router to our gigabit customers as we are to FTTC customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and those routers are capable of uh, Wi-Fi 4 and Wi-Fi 5. So depending on the um, end user's device, you know, those, those will go up to like 200 megs or 450 megs. So if someone wanted to use their Wi-Fi to saturate the full gigabit based on the router that we're supplying today, they would hit, hit to a bottleneck around about 450 megs, which already is probably, well, what is it? it it's probably about 20 times the bandwidth of a 4K video stream. Yeah. Um, so yes, it is. It's theoretically a bottleneck, but I can't imagine it being a bottleneck even in a big house with lots of TVs, lots of Internet of Things devices. You know, getting to that level of bandwidth is, is going to be really, um, really tricky to do. What we are doing though is we are introducing a new router um, for which will be which will support Wi-Fi six. Mm-hmm. Started to introduce that on a trial basis for some of our city fiber customers um, and that because that's wi-fi six that will go up to the full gigabit per second so very very capable routers actually that we're supplying into um people's homes these days particularly when i look back and and think about what routers used to cost that could shift that amount of data yeah. so i think i think to the question um certainly the routers that we're supplying customers at the moment they're very capable they're not they're not creating a bottleneck for our customers in all but the most theoretical of cases. And I think where where will where our customers are much much more likely to see bottlenecks is in the devices that they're connecting to the Wi-Fi in the first place, or or actually the content that they're they're downloading. So you know if they're down, downloading an update for their iPhone, for example, it's much more likely that the the Apple server, which is dishing out obviously hundreds of thousands of updates simultaneously, is, is going to be the bottleneck rather than the customer's Wi-Fi. 
I mean, having said that, as with all technology, you know, the reason that we're introducing a new and more powerful router now is because it's continually developing and getting faster and needing more processing power and needing more bandwidth. So again, it's something that we need to be constantly aware of is, is when's the time when we need to, you know, we need to upgrade those routers. Where do you see the market going in the next few years? Because, I mean, you've said that already people who have got gigabit lines are probably not using that speed as it is. Do you think we're going to see the same trajectory of speeds continuing to increase or do you think we're going to sort of level off at some point? Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll see continued exponential increase in speeds for decades to come. So, you know, sometimes quote um, Moore's Law. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, Moore's law from well back in the 60s he, he, and he was he was talking about transistors on the chip and he was yep. saying you know number of transistors on a chip is going to double every year that was just what he said in the 60s then he said every two years in the 70s and but actually that's continued for two present day and Moore's laws are often also applied to things like processing power disk storage and 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 bandwidth you know internet bandwidth and we've certainly seen that consistently over the last as I say, 26 and a half years, we've seen bandwidth round about double uh, on the Zen network, round about every three years, something like that. Mm -hmm. In the last couple of years, we've seen it double, actually more than double in the last two years because of changes in not just working practices, but just use of the internet generally due to the pandemic. But but we've seen this now for for so long that I look into the future and see, well, you know, Gigabit is is more than anyone needs today, but when will the time come when gigabit is, you know, it's not fast enough for my kids to do their homework? And it might be, you know, it'll be a few years. But if you think, you know, if you think back to, say, the mid 2000s, say 2005, I think the average broadband speed in 2005 was three megs. So three megs today, you know, you know, people would be saying, I can't do anything with three yeah. megs, although that was the average speed. And that's just 15 years ago. So if you think 15 years from now, so maybe, you know, 2035 towards 2040, people will just the same, I think, look back at the, at the speeds that we're getting, the average speed today and the fastest speed today, and say, you know, particularly in 2040, people look back and say, a gigabit per second? Are you joking? <laughs> yeah, that's that's just like, <laughs> what planet do you live on? That's nowhere near fast. It's like the bare minimum I can live with is 10 gigs. And, and actually everyone else got 100 gigs. You know, it's going to say like the bizarre thing with that is that today you sort of think, what could possibly use uh, or require that amount of bandwidth? Yeah. But then that's no difference to what? You know, what we said 20 years ago or 10 years ago with FTTC, who could possibly need 80 megs of bandwidth? It's like, yeah, absolutely. There's nothing you could actually do with it. But now, actually, you know, there are some applications that need a bit more than that. So that's definitely coming. Do you, do you think that full fiber will eventually become the norm then, that this end to end fiber connections uh, will will be absolutely commonplace? Yeah, absolutely. So I've I've called um, the 2020s the decade of full fiber. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that not just me, but a lot of the industry now sees full fiber as the future. And and I think the interesting thing with this transition, it's, it's going to be the last technology transition 
in our lifetimes because with all the previous technologies, they've built the broadband service on the back of your old phone line that's been in the ground, you know, was put in the ground 50 years ago, so never designed to carry data in the first place. Whereas with FTTP, it absolutely is designed to carry data and, and the fiber that's going in the ground now will see us for one gig, 10 gig, 100 gig, 400 gig, you know, whatever's going to come mm-hmm. after that. Uh, yes, you've got to upgrade the laser diodes and sensors on each end of the, the fiber, but you're not having to, to do big infrastructure works and dig the road up. Now, mm-hmm. I think because a lot of people realize that this is, you know, the, the next probably five years is a window of opportunity to become an infrastructure player. It feels a bit like a gold rush where you've not just got OpenReach and, and Virgin doing their thing, but you've got about 100 altnets all going for this gold rush, trying to, trying to dig the streets up or, or use OpenReach's PIA product to build their fiber networks. Um, and obviously not all of them will succeed. Some will succeed. We'll get a big consolidation. But yeah, there's a real rush, I think, in the next, this decade to, to build full fiber networks because the companies know that if you can get a substantial network built and filled up in the next, say, five years, then you can be a player in the UK market. If you don't do that by the late 20s, then you know the door is shut, the opportunity is gone, and you're not going to get in that, to that market probably ever because the fiber's there and can always be upgraded. And does that make life more difficult for you in some ways? Because Zen's always had this great reputation for customer service and speed. And when you're talking about everybody having gigabit grade connections and fiber is generally more reliable than ADSL, is it going to be harder for you to differentiate? I don't think so, no. Um, Because the fiber connection to the home is just one element. So that's the fiber connection from the home typically back to the local telephone exchange. And then now from from that point of view, that's always been common between Mm -hmm. us and and, and our competitors in the broadband space. But then it's, well, how do we build the core network from the exchange? Um, How do we build resilience into the network? How do we manage and monitor the network? Uh, How do we provide support and service when things do go wrong? Um, and yet, you know, you're right that fiber is more reliable, but it can, you know, it, it can still be dug up. It can still be broken. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that look like? What does the fix look like? What is it from the, the experience point of view of the customer? Or, you know, what happens if a customer gets a, an issue that is maybe, maybe a bit unrelated to the service themselves? So maybe they get, a, you know, they get a virus and they ring up support. Oh, you know, my, my PC's gone wrong. I can't get on the internet. I've got a virus. Can you help? Um, and, and I think what we've done over the years is differentiate ourselves by going the, an extra step for the customer and saying, well, you know, it, it's, this is not a problem with our service, but look, let's give you a bit of help in mm-hmm. sorting out your issue. So, so I think we'll continue to be able to differentiate ourselves on on service, even with the the last mile broadband connection being more reliable than, um, say, an FTCC line or certainly than an ADSL line. And just finally, you mentioned about the 
2020s becoming this great era of fiber, there was a lot of hype around uh, the 5G launch, especially about wireless technologies potentially taking over to some degree and um, providing the speeds into the home that fixed lines perhaps couldn't for some people. Do you think that's still going to be the case or do you think it's still going to be predominantly wired connections going into the future? Definitely wired connections. Um, I think particularly with all the full fibre infrastructure build, um, 5G, you know, 5G is a a great technology. It definitely has its place. Um, But as a replacement for fixed line broadband, never going to happen. In, in all but the most the, the, the most niche of cases, and I suppose you know I've seen this um, I've seen this well particularly twice in the past when three G was launched. You know, in the lab, three G can get the same you know a similar sort of bandwidth to the to the broadband speeds at the time. Will mobile replace fixed line? So we had that whole thing, and it didn't happen. Same thing happened with four G, and you know, surprise, surprise, same things happen with five. Technically, it's got this capability, but the economics of it just don't compete with with full fiber. And if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, once you've gone to the expense of putting full fiber in the ground, what you've effectively get, got is a very thin piece of glass. So very low maintenance. It's going to last for years and years and years. And you just need to put a little laser diode at each end and you can you can get a pretty much unlimited amount of bandwidth. If you compare with that, that with the technology and infrastructure you need to deliver 5G, you need masts, you need connectivity to the masts. It's, it's a much more complex technology because you're broadcasting, you're sharing masts between multiple users. So it will always be more expensive and a lot more expensive to, um, to transfer a, a set chunk of data using 5G than it will through this piece of glass that's just lying in the ground and costing next to nothing. Um, so, so the economics will never stack up for 5G mobile versus fixed line. And then you've got the reliability issues as well, you know, signal strength, all that sort of stuff. As I say, I, I've seen it twice before with 3G and 4G, and um, there's nothing with 5G that's fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. It makes me think that it will displace full fiber. And in fact, almost, I think, the opposite is true because there's so much investment in full fiber, uh, you know, open reach now saying we're going to get to 25 million premises by the end of 2025. And that's 25 million premises out of, well, there's probably just over 30 million premises in total in yeah. the UK. And then you've got city fiber. They, they've got big sites on, on 8 million and beyond, and they've, they've already built over a million. And then you've got the other, as I say, probably about 100 old nets that are building. So in the past where people might have used mobile because actually their 4G signal is, is actually faster than their ADSL line, which is on the, on, on the end of a long bit of copper, now a lot of those people will have the option of gigabit speeds through full fiber. So, you know, that edge case for using mobile will go away. So, so yeah, I think 5G, very interesting, lots of applications, not a replacement for fixed line broadband. That's it for part one of this podcast. Make sure to catch the second part when I'll be talking to Sam Lowe's founder, Sam Crawford. And you can read the article that accompanies these podcasts at samnose.com forward slash spotlight. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>